the gospel lessons written in the ninth chapter of Matthew, beginning at the first verse. And after getting into a boat, he crossed the sea and came to his own town. And just then, some people were carrying a paralyzed man lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. But then some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Stand up, take your bed, and go home. And he stood up and went to his home. When the crowd saw it, they were filled with awe, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to human beings. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Five hundred years ago, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the doors of the Castle Church in Wittenberg. When we celebrate each year on the last Sunday in October, we remember this event. The sound of hammer on nail on October 31st. 1517 rang in a revolution in faith. Luther's 95 theses trigger the Reformation. Let me tell you a story. Back in 2007, I taught a class series here at Faith Lutheran called Christian Art. The Christian Art series is one that I began sharing back in 1996, and I've presented it in congregations of many different denominations. One night several years ago, I walked into a church here in the Northeast Heights of Albuquerque to share the Christian art series, and I had an interesting experience. In the interests of Christian kindness, I won't tell you what denomination that church was, although you may be able to guess it by the time I'm done with my story. When I arrived at the church to set up for the presentation, two middle-aged women, the organizers of the class, were there to greet me, and they checked with me to see if there was anything I needed. I suggested that we place some Bibles on the chairs for participants who didn't bring theirs. One of the women looked at the other one and said, Where are the Bibles? Surprisingly, neither of them had any idea where to find a Bible in the church. But they knew who to ask. 
So we went into the kitchen area where an older woman was setting up coffee and cookies for our break time later in the evening. This was the lady who would surely be able to tell us where to find the Bibles. When asked about the location of them, her reply surprised me. This is what she said. The Bibles are all locked in the basement and I don't have a key. We used to keep them upstairs, but people kept taking them. I was silent then, but I just have to comment now. They locked up their Bibles so no one would take them. Really? This whole scenario with the locked up Bibles is shocking to us as Lutherans because of the pivotal importance the Word has in our lives of faith. Why do we so treasure our Bibles and the Word of God living in them? The answer to that question takes us back to the Reformation. Martin Luther's public message of church reform, which begins with those 95 theses, is based on biblical truth. Luther, first a Roman Catholic monk and priest, becomes a professor at the University of Wittenberg, or as Americans often say, Wittenberg. At this small Roman Catholic university, he teaches classes on the Bible. And you know, there's a saying that goes, if you want to really learn something, then teach it. Well, Luther's intense study of the scriptures as his preparation for teaching classes grounds him in the truths of the Bible. Prepping for classes on Paul's letter to the Romans was a pivotal moment. So on Reformation Sundays, we traditionally read from this letter written to the early Christians in Rome. Luther calls Romans a bright light, which illuminates our understanding of Christ, of ourselves, and of God's plan for us. Regarding these matters, Luther has both good news and bad news. First, the bad news. We're a broken mess. We're all poor, miserable sinners. In fact, human beings are in such an awful, wretched state, so sunk in sin, we can be blinded to just how bad our situation is. God's law holds a mirror up to our sins so we can see how desperately we are in need of God and his undeserved love, his grace. And this ends up being a gift to understand how through his law just how much in need of him we are. The good news comes, of course, in the person of Jesus. God himself takes on human flesh and becomes man in Jesus. He suffers the humiliation and punishment that we deserve. And because he's God, he does it perfectly This is the story of the cross. Jesus Christ, in his crucifixion, pays the price of our sin, and he pays it totally, Christ alone. We know that through faith in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, we're forgiven for all our sins, and we do not need to fear punishment for them. In the reading from Paul's letter to the Romans that we heard today, the meaning of of the cross of Christ is spelled out clearly. 
Christ's sacrifice on the cross does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We are saved and our sin is wiped away. Christ alone accomplishes this. It's the central truth of Christian faith. This is the truth told by the apostles. This is the truth shared in scripture. Sadly, this powerful central message of Christ is corrupted in the centuries after the first Christians. And by the time of Luther, the Roman Catholic Church is teaching that even after sins are forgiven, a debt is still due. Even after the sin is forgiven, a good work must be done to correct the balance. Roman Catholicism teaches that temporal punishment exists to get rid of the penalty or punishment that still do. The way to purge the debt of sin is through good works. The Roman Catholic understanding is that these good works are an act of contrition and sacrifice. Good works are meant to make up for the punishment due for sin. Some special people lead such meritorious lives that they're able to do enough good works and go straight to heaven. But others will have to work off the punishment of sin in some way. So where does the Roman Catholic Church teach that the dead believer will go until he or she is purged of the consequence of sin? Purgatory. After death, that soul ends up in purgatory temporarily. Heaven will be the final destination. And of course, purgatory is not a biblical teaching. The Roman church provides indulgences to cover this debt of sin. A believer can obtain from the Roman Catholic church an indulgence for him or herself planning ahead for purgatory. A Catholic believer can also obtain an indulgence for someone who is already dead and in purgatory. In Luther's day, these indulgences were being heavily promoted to bring extra money into the church in Rome. This Roman Catholic teaching on indulgences and purgatory makes of salvation a team effort. Christ begins the work on the cross, and then the believer must take it the rest of the way. It's the error of indulgences that Martin Luther addresses in his 95 theses. All 95 deal with this one issue. An indulgence by its very nature denies that Christ alone has done the work of salvation completely. completely. On October 31st, 1517, Luther walks to the wooden doors of the castle church and nails his list of theses to it. Here's that castle church today. Recently renovated, the glorious interior is a delight with a beautiful carved wood raised pulpit. But it's a pair of doors on the exterior that receives the attention. Today, great bronze doors emblazoned with the 95 theses stand in the place where the wooden doors once hung. By nailing his list of theses on the errors of indulgences to the church door, Luther calls for a debate on this scandal in the church, a teaching that denies the central truth of Scripture. Christ on the cross 
alone wins our salvation for us. Nothing we do earns our salvation. Our good works are not balanced against our sin in some sort of eternal accounting system where we must even out the columns on the ledger somehow. We don't need to worry about balancing accounts because Christ has done it for us. Christ alone. Painted by the Spanish artist Francisco de Zuberan, this image of Christ crucified faces us with the truth of the crucifixion. Emerging from the darkness, the beautiful and tortured body of Christ droops peacefully in death. We're drawn to the horrific wounds, the flow of blood. His side has been pierced, confirming his death. The face is gray. All is still. The pain has been endured. It is finished. Christ alone is nailed to the cross. He alone carries the burden of our sin. The body emerges from the inky darkness. There's no background scenery. No fainting mother at the foot of the cross. No Roman soldiers carrying out the sentence of execution. There's no sign of the time of day or other details of the scene. This crucifixion has been taken out of time and locale. The truth told here is timeless. It is Christ alone who's paid the price. In the Reformation, the story of the cross is again embraced in all its fullness and power. That's the story of the cross. Christ alone. And all God's people said, Amen.